How do I grow in my walk with God? We're going to talk about that next on the Monday Christian Podcast. You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here's your host, Ezra Beyer. Hey there, thank you so much for taking some time to listen to this podcast, and I hope that you've had a great Christmas, a great uh, New Year's, or whenever you're listening to this, hope that you're having a a great week so far. Um, But to start this new year, one of the things that we often discuss as Christians is how to grow, and uh, it's about this time that we get those Bible app uh, versions on, whether it's the version or a different plan that we follow, and we begin the process, hopefully, hopefully we have a Bible reading plan, and we begin the process of, of saying, okay, making some new resolutions and saying, I really want to grow in my faith. The problem is, sometimes uh, we don't really know how to do that practically, and uh, we struggle uh, just really getting some of the fundamentals right. And uh, so that's where my friend Daryl Dash comes into the equation. Uh, several months ago, I sat down with Daryl and uh, interviewed him on his new book, How to Grow. And in this, he really details uh, the basic ins and outs of how to grow as a Christian. And he'll share more about that in the coming minutes ahead. Uh, Daryl Dash is a pastor, a church planner in the city of Toronto. For those of you in the United States, he's in, in a literal section called a Liberty, or not a little section, a big section called Liberty Village, um, a little bit more on the central uh, slash west side of Toronto. And um, he's been there now for a number of years and has grown the church uh, consistently. And he's also a blogger and, uh, and writes extensively online. Um, I follow him on Twitter and, 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 uh, and Facebook, and uh, he's constantly putting out new information, new material, and I really, really appreciate that about him. So anyways, at the close of this, I'll give you uh, details, and they're in the show notes as well, where you can get his book and his resources. But I think you're going to find this discussion really, really helpful. So without any further ado, let's get into my discussion on how to grow with pastor and author Daryl Dash. Today on our podcast, it's great to have Daryl Dash on. And uh, Daryl, thank you so much for taking some time to come on today. Hey, Ezra, good to be on with you. And uh, well, we just spoke for the first time, like just a couple of minutes ago. So um, I, honestly, I don't know a whole lot about you, but I've been following some of your online stuff that you do about with uh, dashhouse.com and gospelforlife.com. And you do a lot of blogging, eh? Yeah, I do. I started, man, I don't even know how long ago, but back when nobody was blocking. So I've been at it a long time now. <laughs> well, I, I, man, one of the things I love so much about the content that you share um, as a church planner, and, and we'll get into that in a little bit, like your background, but so relatable, um, so down to earth. And I feel like the material that you blog about and you write about, um, I could just pass it right on to members of my church congregation. And uh, so from that perspective, I love coming across like sites like that. That's, that's really cool. So thank you for that. Uh, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, like you, I'm a church planter. So 
uh, if you don't keep it real, you get in trouble pretty quickly. Yeah, I know, I know. It's you go back to those seminary days, and it's like you tried translating some of that stuff into the local church, and it's like ah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So now, um, for those that are unfamiliar with you, some in our, some in our audience uh, would be very familiar with you, but others may, might not. Um, what was your story? How did you first come to faith in Christ? What did that look like? So I grew up just um, in a suburb of uh, Toronto called Brampton. Yep. And uh, Brampton back then was a little bit different than it is now. Now it's pretty well part of Toronto. And uh, my family uh, moved there. I was born. And pretty early on, my uh, my parents uh, ended up splitting up. So, you know, I had a – those were back in the days when that was not a common story. There weren't really a lot of people in Brampton coming from a broken home. Okay. And uh, one of the cool things that happened is it really became a crucible to see whether Christianity was real. So my father was not a believer, and uh, he kind of went off on one direction. I was, I think, I think about five years old at the time, and my mother was a believer, and she went through a really hard time. But in the middle of watching the two of them, it— I don't know if there could be a better apologetic for Jesus and for the gospel than watching that play out. Because I, as I saw my mother struggle, I really discovered, you know, what she has in Jesus has to be real. There's no way she could be faking this. And I watched my father, uh, and he kind of spiraled off in his own direction. And I was looking at him going, like, if that's what it looks like to live apart from God, and he was a little bit of an extreme case— I don't want that. So, right, you know, it's right. interesting as a, uh, I think kids have a, well, I, they have a truth detector, I think. Oh, yeah, it's really, crazy. Yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah. They can tell if something's real or if somebody's just mouthing platitudes. Yeah. And at an early age, I just knew, I don't know what this is, but there's something there. So anyway, I grew up in a, a church, uh, grew up in a funky little, I would say fundamentalist church there. Yeah. So... I talk about it a little bit in the book. Uh-huh. They were some crazy people. Like there was a lot of weird things. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like it was a good church, but it was also like I they they were quirky. They had their faults, and yet in the middle of that, also discovered there was something real there too. And those people marked my life, even though they were perfect and quirky. And uh, I was one of those weird kids that about the age of I think about six. Mm-hmm. I knew I was going to be a pastor. So, Man, by that, the way, that try young? that. Wow, that's crazy. Oh yeah, that's that's kind of. Try going be, to school yeah. at yeah. grade two and say, "Yeah, I'm going to be a pastor." So, that's not going to help your popularity, but <laughs> that's what happened to me. I was reading a book some, somewhere. Maybe was it was it yours? I I forget. I get them mixed up sometimes. Um, where the author was writing and saying they they wanted to be a pastor at a young age, but then they just inserted a pastor firefighter, pastor policeman after it. So. <laughs> I don't think that was me, that but I like you. that. Okay, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so okay, so that's that's really interesting. So when when would you say though um, that your faith really kind of became? I don't know. I, I felt like in my life, the early years, I came to faith. I think when I was five years of age. But it took till I was around 12 or 13, 15, you know, 14 years of age where, where that really became my own. Um, when did that really happen in your life? Was it earlier than that? Or? It was early. And it actually caused me a bit of grief because I, I knew the pattern, right? I knew, okay, become a believer, you know, when you're young, kneel beside your bed. But I knew the script was like later on, chuck it out and rebel. 
And I remember thinking, like, I don't think I'm following the script. Like, am I doing this wrong? <laughs> but I never went through that. And uh, so it was weird. I think at a very early age, probably because of what my family went through. Right. Uh, I think it, it just became very real to me. And I think because some of the people in my life, uh, I was just surrounded by really good people who, like, I, I mentioned in the book, my Sunday school teacher, Don Taylor. Mm-hmm. He was an amazing guy. He had a hair lip. Uh, he he looked kind of funny. He talked funny. He only had one volume. So there was everything about him was wrong in terms of like I should not have looked up to him. Right. The thing is, like he I knew when we got together, this guy loves Jesus and he loves us. And somehow that really affected me. So yeah, I never went through the whole rebellion thing. Oh that that's that's really cool. Like, I mean, I, I love stories from all different backgrounds, but man, I, I like, I like, I like hearing stories. Um, I don't know. I, it's, I was listening to someone uh, a little while ago and they were just talking about and, and almost feeling apologetic for growing up and loving God in an early age. But I'm like, man, no, that's so, that's so cool. I love those stories. You know, like, I think that's, we should have more of those stories. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you had called to be a pastor at a young age. Um, what did your years of ministry look like? And then I guess it was five years ago that you just, that you planted in Toronto. So kind of walk us through that journey and to how that all came about. You know, when I, I graduated from uh, seminary at the age of 23, kind of thought I'd figured everything out uh, and became a pastor of a small church in Etobicoke. What they did hiring me, I have no idea. Like, a 23-year-old <laughs> knows nothing. Yeah. yeah. I was newly married, and for some reason, uh, they took a chance on me. And I look back now and shake my head. It's like, I don't know what they thought they were doing. But they were really gracious. Um, then about the age of 30, I moved on to another church. And it was funny, Ezra, I kind of thought that I had made it because this was a bigger church. Like, not that big, but by Canadian standards, you know, a decent size. They had a, a storied past, and I kind of thought, like, okay, I'm 30. Already people have recognized my talents. Like, I've hit the big time. That was—I I was there 13 years. There were some good people there as well. Those were probably the 13 hardest years of my life. And Really? Just a, uh, just a very difficult time, like, trying to change a church culture, trying to— you know, when I went there, it was a kind of a divided church. The pastor that had been there before me had been there 23 years. And he was in his, you know, mid to late 60s. And I was the 30-year-old coming in. So I walked in the middle of, like, just a crazy time of transition for that church. So about the end of that, uh, I knew it was time to leave. And I kind of thought, okay, what am I going to do? I was really being courted by a seminary to go teach. And I was pretty sure I was going to do that. I was sure if that failed, I would end up going to another church and pastoring. I thought church planting was about the craziest thing that anybody at that stage could do. And yet, over the course of about a year, it just became so clear that that's what I should be doing. So at the age of, I think, 45 packed up everything, moved to downtown Toronto to a fairly young community, 
And with no salary, no core group, just kind of parachuted in and said, okay, we're planting a church. So we've been at it about five years. And I think it's been the hardest ministry I've done, probably even harder than those 13 years at that church. But it's also been the most joyful time in ministry we've had. So kind of that weird thing of it's been like, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it's not because it's easy. It's actually really difficult, but it's a lot of fun at the same time. Yeah, I just want to pause you there. Well, this is coming from another church planner, so I'm, I'm curious myself. What about, you know, someone might be listening and saying, you know, that doesn't make sense well, if it's some of the hardest years. Why is it also some of the most joyful? Um, unpack that a little bit. What, what You know, give us a highlight or two. What, what, I don't know, what really excites you along that process? You know, I think a couple things. One would be, I don't want to pretend like we're on the mission field in, uh, you know, Chad, Africa, like one of my friends is. But, you know, those missionaries that are there on the front line, they actually have really cool stories. And in church planting, like I have amazing stories I never had pastoring. So, you know, like one time, for instance, I was out of money. I think our bank account was in overdraft. The church was out of money. It wasn't in overdraft, but it was pretty close to zero. Uh, I remember writing a check to the church kind of my regular offering, thinking like, okay, I'm in overdraft. I can't even cash this check. I went to meet with a donor, and the donor said, I can't help you. He was a big donor. And I remember like just being so devastated about that. On the way home, I stopped at the post office, and uh, there I opened up the P.O. box, and there was a check for, I think, just over $10,000 from a church that I didn't even think knew about us. Wow. And I, I didn't expect any mon- money from them. And so I'm standing there in the middle of Shopper Drug Mart by the P.O. box. I I actually start crying because I was so overcome with, I think, just like stress, but gratitude. And we've got story after story of that. Just like, you know, the hard part about, you know, you know, money, no people trying to make something work from scratch, all the right. stress of that. Right. And at the same time, like just at the right time, God seeming to provide out of nowhere in pretty dramatic ways. So, yeah, I think that the both have gone together. Wow. That's, I mean, that, that's really cool. I mean, I, I'm guessing you could uh, tell quite a few stories of, of oh, uh, yeah, amazing for sure. things. So that's, that's cool. Well, let's get into a little bit of your book here. And you just, tell, talk about how that all came about. Um, and um, I just finished it this morning. And uh, first off, highly recommend it to others. Um, how do I grow? Um, and ju- just such a practical topic. And so did you always want to write or ha- how did that come about? Yeah, to be honest, I knew again, I was going to write and uh, for years and years, I didn't do it. So I, yeah, it's a long time. What happened was, um, you know, I had all these great ideas, but I could never narrow it down on one. So this is going to be a weird story. My wife started working one day for an online nutrition company. I don't know if you can make up anything shadier than that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember her coming home saying she's an accountant or was an accountant at the time. Guess what? I've got a new client, an online nutrition company. And I began to look into them. They had a, sh- a website that set off all my alarm bells. It was, it was like, <laughs> okay, what are you done? <laughs> I began to watch her and she went, uh, she lost 60 pounds and it wasn't anything really weird. She just was eating better and practicing new habits. 
I began to look more into the company and behind the shifty website, began to discover like these guys have PhDs in nutrition. They're coaching major sports teams. They're writing textbooks. Like these guys actually are the real deal. At the same time, I was planning a church and thinking like, I've got all this theological knowledge. I've got all this, like you name it. I've got amazing theology on my bookshelf, but I don't think I'm doing a good job translating that into actionable steps that somebody could take to grow. And it was actually this company that took, you know, nutrition science and brought it down to a practical level that made me begin to think, how can I do that in my church plant? You know, in the middle of downtown Toronto with a group of people who are like, I have amazing people at the church, but they're, they're not necessarily thinking all the time about, you know, theology and uh, they're just trying to get by through life. How can I take the riches of the gospel and make it actually accessible to these people and help them grow. So yeah, that's how it, it all began. Okay. So your wife kind of, she was the one that kind of pulled the strings and, uh, and at least, oh, at least yeah. got, I got, got everything. I got all my good ideas from her. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I see. Well, and we have coffee every day. So we would begin talking and, and that's really where it began. I would say, yeah, we would just reflect on like, man, I be, I took the program with her. And began to realize that I think they've got a good insight into how to translate theory into knowledge. So the two of us began to talk about, we need to do this for discipleship. We really need to help our people in the church grow in the same way. That's interesting. You know, on my Facebook account just earlier today, I just do this for fun. I threw out, you know, what are the biggest things that hinder Christians from growing? And I want to get your thoughts here. So uh, one person put apathy and comfort. Another one said um, lack of discipleship. Someone else said disobedience. Um, others said uh, lack of knowledge. What would you say? What in being a church and in in pastoring a church and meeting uh, just people, just where the rubber meets the road, uh, people every single day. Um, what would you say is the biggest thing that you think hinders people from growing or or having that appetite to really grow in in their faith? You know, it's a it's a great question. I think some of the answers on Facebook are are pretty insightful. I always think of the parable that Jesus told of the parable of the seeds, and I always stop when he mentions the cares of this world, because I think that's such a perceptive comment that Jesus made. You know, I think that the seed falls and it begins to grow, and he talks about the cares of this world choking it out. At least where I am, I look around and. I mean, people are so consumed with getting, you know, getting enough money to live and raising the kids and, you know, running around. So, I mean, you live in the same city as me. Sometimes I just stop and watch people and they just look so stressed. I don't know if you've ever done that. Yeah, people no, watch totally. It all. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and even, you know, I, I think about this uh, on my day off, I'll go out and I'll get caught behind somebody who's not driving that fast. And I'll get agitated and I'll think, man, like, what's go- I need to get going here. And I, I begin to realize, like, it's my day off. I'm not going to anywhere. Like, I can just <laughs> relax. But I think there's this perpetual, I think the cares of this world. We're in a hurry. We're consumed with other things. I would add to that. I also think that we're used to doing life kind of independently. So uh, as a result, the, the thing we read in the scripture is really a, a life together, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. It's a communal life. I think that we miss out on what God intended, and we don't even know it. So 
we, we tend to live isolated lives by ourselves, uh, concerned with just not bad things. I think they're actually really good things. Like how do we feed our family? And in all of that, our growth takes a back seat and we're not even aware of it at the time. Yeah. No, that's, that's good stuff. You know, if you were just sitting in a coffee shop, I know you like a Jimmy's coffee. Is that true? I think you wrote something about yeah. that. Book, so, okay. So have you been to Jimmy's? No, yet? I've never been there. So that we'll have to do a meeting there sometime. That, that'd Absolutely, be fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now it's funny if someone were to just ask me how to define the gospel. Okay. You kind of have that textbook definition, but then I feel like I describe it so much differently to just, I don't know, meet the context of different people because, you know, everyone's got a different story. And so it relates that, you know, the core stays the same, but you know, sometimes the, the way, the way you describe it is, is different. If, if you're meeting someone for the first time in Jimmy's coffee or something like that, and someone were just to ask you, you know, what, what's the gospel? What route do you often take it's with someone's very new to the faith and knows very little um, I was just playing hockey the other night, and and it was kind of funny. I was I was in the room with a bunch of guys, and and the guy just kind of walks in. And he's like, "Oh, you're a pastor." He's like, "I'm, you know, I'm not really religious." He's like, "So, uh, what 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 do you do? What's that all about?" And it kind of took me off guard. I was like, "Man, what am I about?" <laughs> I know. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Well, what do you say? One of the uh, I don't know if you know the name Ray Ortland. Uh, he's a pastor in Nashville, scholar, and he's got. Basically, he's created this mantra, and I, I think it's so accessible. I like to use it. So three points to it. Uh, I think one of the best gospel presentations I've heard. So he says, okay, here's three things you need to know. First, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting Second, that. <laughs> I know. And, and that's the whole thing. Instead of saying like, oh, you know, you're a sinner. Yeah. You know, all that. it's like, no, I'm an idiot. Okay. <laughs> and uh, number two is my future is incredibly bright. And three is anybody can get in on this. Wow. And just unpack that. Like, number one, I'm not here to tell you you're an idiot. I'm just here to tell you I'm an idiot, right? Like, Man, and I think good, people, yeah. here's the thing in, in Toronto I notice. Mm -hmm. If I talk about something being wrong with us, okay, if I talk about sin, people don't track with that generally. If I talk about something being wrong with us, and we all have the sense of things aren't the way they should be, and we're not the way that we should be. I've never met anybody who disagrees with that. I think we all carry this inward sense of, I mean, Brene Brown talks about shame. Uh, I think people instinctively know, yeah, like I have this inner chatter and there's this constant condemnation going on. There's a sense that I'm not what I should be. So talk about, okay, I'm an idiot kind of gets at that. And then despite that, my future is incredibly bright that God has done everything to deal with our our idiot problem. Right. And, and you can explain then, you know, what Jesus did that it's not about us being good. It's about, he was good. So we don't have to be good. And then our future being incredibly bright, just that, you know, not just in the future in the afterlife, but right now God begins to, he gives us everything we need and sets our lives right and is setting the world right. So I, I think that's a pretty accessible way to explain it. So I really like, those three points anyway. If I start sharing that with some of my friends, they're going to agree, especially on point number one. So. <laughs> <laughs> I never get an argument with point number one. People go, yeah, you are an idiot. <laughs> you know, um, we talk about the gospel. Uh, one of the things, I grew up in a, method, a little bit more of a Methodist background, and one of the things that uh, John Wesley, um, one of the points that I do like about his life is he emphasized uh, the importance of the gospel really 
impacting all of our, our life. And, you know, sometimes I, I think in, in a church context or just when we come to faith in Christ, sometimes we kind of, Christians can get this mistaken idea that it's just something I do. The gospel is kind of something I, I did that one point when I accepted Christ into my life, and yet it has some bearing on my life, but, you know, not it doesn't really affect what I do on, on Monday. Um, how do you how do you explain that? How do you um, um, how do you view the gospel working practically in our lives? How do you describe that to other people? How do you help people to make that connection between you know as I often say, what we teach on Sunday in everyday life on Monday? Yeah, in chapter one, uh, I tried to. I think I gave what, seven different ways the gospel affects our day to day. But one of the ones that I find the most powerful is just that sense of I am accepted. So I, I begin the the book with the a story of a slave, a modern day slave who uh, one day it was in the Philippines and one day the son of the, the family that had the slave realizes, oh my goodness, like I always thought of her as a helper, but she's actually a slave. And he's overcome with guilt of like, we've been oppressing this woman all these years. And so invites her, he moves to North America, invites her into his home, basically says, you're free. Like you can, here's a bank card, like just make a withdrawal anytime you want, live off us. You don't need to work anymore. Like you're part of the family. And she continues to live basically like she's a slave. She can't get her head around this freedom. And it was funny, I was talking to somebody the other week and she was saying like, look, I know God's forgiven me. I know that I'm accepted. I just don't feel like it. I feel like I'm still, she didn't use the word in slavery, but she said, I, I just feel condemned. I feel like I'm, nothing's different. And I think one of the greatest ways the gospel changes us is, you know, today when I woke up before I did anything, I was accepted in God because of Jesus, not because of myself. I don't have to earn God's approval. I don't have to live with insecurity. I don't have to live, you know, always trying to measure up. I can just live out of that acceptance. So, you know, there's all sorts of things. I know for me anyway, that's one of the most powerful ways the gospel changes me. So I think for anybody who feels like, man, I just don't feel like I measure up. In Jesus, we don't have to measure up anymore. We're fully accepted. We've been set free. We can't do anything to earn God's approval more than what Jesus has done. So we can just get off that treadmill. Man, that's. I love one of the lines you state in your book here. You say, our greatest problem isn't that we lack freedom. We've been offered freedom and unimaginable wealth through the gospel. Our problem is that we have a hard time living as if it's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's really well that's right. said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so what do we do now? How do we install, how do we, okay, let's talk about habits. You talk about this a lot in your book. And, um, you know, I have to start, you know, for years I struggled with habits. And it was so funny. Um, it was about a year ago. I was at a little conference down in the States, and one of the speakers was speaking on the importance of uh, flossing your teeth. I'll just confess that was not me. I, I hadn't flossed like, you know, regularly. So <laughs> I was always the guy at the dentist appointment <laughs> that would always go in and, you know, say, well, you need to, you need to get flossing. Um, but something clicked in, in when he said that there was a, <laughs> it was some quirky fact, but just basically there's a 
relation be- uh, relation between people who are disciplined and people who floss their teeth every day. <laughs> and something clicked, and I haven't missed a day since. And I'm like, hmm. whoa, so actually I can, you know, <laughs> that, that felt that felt like some empowerment, like, hey, I can actually do this. Um, for people that struggle with putting great habits in their life, I'll confess, that's that's me a lot of times. How do you begin to just shift and begin putting these simple habits like flossing your teeth, you know, the simple habits of the faith into practice? What, what, how do you work that with other people? And that's such a good question. Um, one of the things I discovered in the process of trying to build habits and write about them is we're all so different. And one of the ways I thought I found that out, I know I'm talking about my wife a lot, is, you know, I, I would go to her and say, oh, like, I've developed these habits, you should too. And uh, I remember a few years ago, I said that uh, about the Bible Project. I'm like, man, I'm really, have you heard of the Bible Project? Oh, I, I think I just read your blog post on this. Just a few. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. They've got videos. They've got a reading plan. They've to, It's amazing. And I was enjoying it. So I said, man, you need to do that too. And about three months later, she came to me. She said, I took your advice. I did it. And you've ruined my devotional life. Like, <laughs> thank you very much. For me, and this is where I think we're all different. Like, it's almost like we need to hack ourselves. Uh, Gretchen Rubin talks about mm-hmm. there's four different types of habit keepers. And I was approaching it. I'm an upholder by her uh, rubric. So, you know, I'm somebody that likes to build habits. And most books on habits are written by people like me. The whole problem, the the problem is a lot of people aren't upholders. So you've got to figure out what does it look like to build habits when you're not that way. And so I think there's a few things that help. One is to start small. That's where, uh, BJ Fogg, uh, wrote, or he did a program called tiny habits and he talks about flossing teeth. And what he says is don't set a goal of flossing your whole mouth, set the goal every night. If you want to floss your teeth, floss one tooth. And the crazy thing is, like, probably if you do one, you're going to keep going and do more. But you've won if you do one. And I always tell people, like, don't set the goal to read, like, five chapters of the Bible every day. Set a goal to open the Bible and begin reading one verse where you've just left off yesterday. It might be that you read for five or ten minutes. But if you set to read five or ten minutes, probably you'll give up the day three or four. But just read one verse. So start small. I think I give about seven tips in the book for how to build habits. I think another one is um, wipe the slate clean. So here's where, even though I'm pretty good at habits, here's where I go wrong. If I blow it, I really blow it. Yeah. And the next day, I don't even know why I should do it again because I did so badly yesterday. I may as well, you know, continue to blow it. Instead, I think the gospel is another way we preach the gospel to ourselves Man, if anybody can wipe the slate clean, it's us. Every day we wake up, yesterday's crap, yesterday's sin is totally gone. His mercies are new today. So every day we have an invitation to wake up and just wipe the slate clean. doesn't matter how badly we failed and just keep going. But I don't know. I think there's, uh, I really hesitate to say, you know, this is the way to build habits. I think everybody's good at habits. I think most of us live our lives by habit. Uh, you know, 
where do you go to bed every night? I go to bed on the right side of the bed, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And everyone I know, like, they don't have to think about it. They're like, oh, yeah, left side, right side. Most people I know, they're like, oh, yeah, I wake up every day. I do the same thing. Usually check the phone first, right? Right. We actually are all really good at habits. I think the challenge is to, you know, actually hack ourselves to figure out how can I create habits that will build into my life what I need. So I'll just end it with one thing about my wife. She really sucked at building spiritual habits. The thing that changed her was she started going to the gym. I never would have thought of that in a million years. When she started building discipline by going to the gym, all of a sudden that discipline translated into, like I, she began reading the Bible, she began praying and doing other things. It was almost like what you mentioned about flossing the teeth. That discipline in one area of her life kind of carried over to every area, every area of her life. So um, I think that, I would never have guessed that, right? How do you build a habit? You know, Sometimes you come at it sideways. Yeah, that's that's actually really interesting you mentioned that because, you know, I just made a little note here. Um, in church planning, especially in our community, one of the challenges is is has often been that, that um, you know, um, we live, you know, sometimes a little bit more of a rougher community. And so... Um, sometimes people have struggled where to have discipline in their in their lives for various reasons, and I've watched that. I, I'd be curious to get your take on this. It seems like to me I've watched this time and time again when someone is more disciplined in whether they go to a job each day or they they do the when they come to faith in Christ, they often grow at a decent pace. But oftentimes it feels like with people that haven't installed those disciplines it's almost fruitless sometimes to keep adding knowledge if they haven't developed the disciplines to take that in and to begin living out of that. That's just, I'm kind of thinking out loud here, but I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Oh, totally. So uh, this is where, you know, I think some of the best things we can do to grow spiritually is, you know, we want to begin by asking, are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? But sometimes we need to ask, are you getting enough sleep? Yeah. It's, right. it's pretty hard in the morning to wake up or I don't, you know, for me, it's the morning. If I don't get to bed at a decent time, I'm not going to be having a good time in God's word the next day. I don't care what I do. Yeah. So it's almost like we need to look at our lives as a whole and, and figure out how could we develop discipline because, and I hate the word discipline because it implies like a super perfection in a way, but uh, how can we just develop a healthy rhythm of life right. that's sustainable? Not like we have to be super people because we're not super humans. How can we just develop uh, a healthy rhythm of life that will help me grow into joy and and sense that God is part of my everyday life? I noticed in the book you pull from a different a uh, bunch of different leadership sources. You just mentioned Gretchen Rubin and and um, lots of different you know we could go down the path of lots of different leadership experts, whether it's Seth Godin and on down on, down the line. It was interesting. I was reading uh, an autobiography on Oswald Chambers yesterday. And one of the things, I don't have the quote offhand, but he was mentioning that it's so important as Christians, and he's writing this back in the early 1900s, that as Christians, that they don't, um, that the person that says, I'm just a person of one book, meaning the Bible, that is oftentimes um, that uh, (laughs) the person that really means that is actually a person of many books, but that they actually, um, it has a way of, of elevating the supremacy of Scripture. That the person that just says, I only read the Bible and I won't read anything else, that a lot of times, and his point was that they, um, that, that uh, it, he, 
I forget his exact quotation there, but he basically said, this is killing us in terms of growth in the church. So I'm curious to get your take on this. Uh, when we read things like building habits, um, how important is it to read widely, to, to pull these different elements in, like your wife's nutritional program and things like that? Um how do you implement other areas, whether you're reading philosophy, psychology, all these different, you know, how do you pull them in and kind of bring these into your spiritual walk? Yeah, that's such a good question. I, I, one of these guys that loves to read, I mean, you just mentioned Seth Godin and Gretchen Rubin. Tomorrow I'm going to uh, something Toronto. I don't know if you've heard of it, Creative Mornings Toronto. And they just bring in a speaker uh, from, you know, some leader in the community to talk. And, you know, you do have to listen carefully. You can't apply everything. But I, I, I forget who said it first. All truth is God's truth. I think we can learn from anything. So the book of Proverbs, I was surprised a few years ago to learn that a lot of those Proverbs actually come from other, like, say, Egypt or whatever. And Solomon maybe tweaked them or rewrote them. And they ended up being part of God's word. And I love that because we don't have to invent everything. I think we can learn uh, pretty widely and apply uh, everything we learn with and, and edit it out, but apply it to our lives as well. It doesn't have to be all Christian books or uh, anything like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you write, um, we often set our sights too low. When we aim for growth, we often settle for more knowledge. Um Talk about this for a moment, because I, you know, I think the more that I pastor, I feel like I, when someone keeps growing, right, or when they keep taking in more knowledge, I forget who said this, when they keep taking in more knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge, and then not, you know, then not um, living out of that knowledge, where it's actually changing their lives, they become <laughs> spiritually overweight, and it begins to hinder them and, and slow them down. So in terms of, in terms of um, aiming for growth, um, how is growth different than just gaining more knowledge? Kind of walk us through the differences between the two. I think the person who expressed it best, that it really helped me to click, uh, James K. Smith, who wrote, has written a few good books, uh, Desiring the Kingdom of Others. When, in one of his books he talks about, I think a lot of our Christian views of growth see us almost as brains on a stick where it's like, we just need to keep filling the brain. And he says, we're actually a lot more complex than that. Like we're motivations, you know, we're affections, we're desires, we're, we're whole people. And we keep targeting the brain thinking we just need to change the brain when actually we need to change the whole person. So I, yeah, I think knowledge is important. I love the quote by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said he spent half his time telling people they need to learn more. And then he spent half his time telling people that learning isn't enough. And I, I, that's almost like our job as a pastor. Like, yeah, you need to learn more about God. But at the same time, that's not enough. You need to, you know, we need to love God more. We need our desires changed. We actually need to obey what we've been learning. Uh, I, I love James, right? Because James keeps coming back to the fact of, great, you know all this stuff. What are you doing with it? Like, are you actually living it out? Right. Show me how you're caring for orphans and widows. That's going to be a good indication to me that you really learned what you say you've learned. Right, right. At the end of the book, I love how you tie this in. You talk uh, talk about just the importance of uh, practicing this within the context of other believers. So 
I think you've blogged on this as well. I've checked out some of your stuff on this. And so I'm curious to get your take. As a pastor, why is it important as Christians that we're around some sort of assembly, um, going to church on a Sunday? Why is that such an important discipline? I don't know if you want to put the word discipline there, but but why is it, is it so important that this is just a practice that we practice every single week? Or is it? Uh, LifeWay did a study, and they said, okay, we've got all these things that Christians could do, spiritual disciplines, and then we've got all these outcomes that actually indicate that spiritual growth has taken place. And they did a study to figure out what behaviors actually lead to spiritual growth. And it was interesting because two of the three that they discovered had to do with participating in the life of a church, which is really interesting. You know, if you read a book on spiritual disciplines— it's a, it gets pretty overwhelming. There's probably about 20 things you could be doing. What Lifeway found is out of those, you know, 20, 20 plus things, only three actually can make a big difference in your life. The others are good, but three are really going to make a huge difference. So one was reading scripture and the other two were basically like show up at church, uh, show up not just on a Sunday, but show up within a group within the church get to know each other, you know, have, live in community with each other. So, man, I don't, why is that? I think God created us for community. I'm a church planter. I have to be honest. Part of why I want people to show up is my own insecurity. Yeah. When people don't show up, I feel like, man, I'm, I suck. I'm not right. a good church planter. <laughs> so that's where I need to preach the gospel to myself at that moment. Like, it's not about me. The reality is, why should we show up on a Sunday? Not for my sake. It's because God made us to need each other. We need to show up because we were made to grow in community. And, and here's the reality. Like when I show up on a Sunday, when I'm feeling lousy, here's what I've discovered. I think I have nothing to offer people. But I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the people at our church shows up feeling really, really lousy occasionally. And I'll say to her, how are you doing? And she'll say, like, man, my mental health has been really bad lately. And I look at her at that moment and go, you have no idea what a gift you've just brought to the church. You showed up and you've made it safe for everybody else who's struggling to show up to and admit that they're not doing well. And man, I, I think that's a huge gift. I think that's a bigger gift than if she came and said, oh man, like I'm amazing. Everything's great. Yeah. There's something about showing up and being real with each other and giving each other permission to struggle yeah. and then loving and supporting yeah. each other that is so powerful, and I think it's how God created us to grow. It's interesting you mentioned that. My wife and I were just talking last night how some of the best people that we connect with are not necessarily the, the people that know all the, the Bible terminology and all the Bible lingo, but the people that just come in and are honest. And sometimes they come in and they're like, man, my week was terrible, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and they kind of come, but it's authentic. It's real. And you're like, man, I would much rather work with that um, than someone who is, you know, just kind of has this false exterior of, of religion. Um, so I'm curious, just in closing here, give us a story or two. I'm just, uh, I love stories. So give us a story or two of how um, growth has changed a life in with someone in your church, with, with maybe some of these uh, practices that you've talked about in your book. Um I'd be curious to just hear how, how this has impacted the lives of, of some of the people that you've been working with. So a few years ago, we, we went through some of the material in this book, and uh, I kind of wrote the content, and my wife 
uh, got to do some of the coaching. So, you know, we would be giving people these habits and helping them. And one of the cool things that happened is, um, you know, on a Sunday we gather, we kind of smile, we're all kind of, and then what she discovered in the process of doing this is people were getting very real with each other. And all of a sudden, you know, I think that number one, we learn people's struggles and in the process of going through this material, people were just like, I am not doing this. I have not read my Bible in a long time. I wouldn't have known that, right? On a Sunday, you don't pick that up about people. And we were just able to slowly begin to walk people through, okay, thank you for telling me that. And uh, begin with, with a clean slate and help people begin to uh, begin to change in slow ways. So one of the cool things, like I'm trying to think of a story I can tell you that's not confidential or whatever, because a lot of that was, you know, pretty private stuff. Right, right. But what she did, she said to me, like, I've learned more about our people and I've seen more growth take place mm. in our people by going through this together. Because, you know, it's not just here's a book, read it. Right. As a church, we were like, let's actually walk through what it looks like. You know, let's let's actually talk about what this could look like in our lives and uh, just the level of, of people being real and then people beginning to take small steps towards change. So, man, I I want to tell you, like our mess is our church is messy. We're full of it's actually a good thing, right? Like, <laughs> I like that. I don't yeah. like a church that's all put together. I like a church where things are pretty real. But if you walked into our church, you wouldn't think this is a bunch of super spiritual like these people have it all together. What I would say is, I think we've been learning how to struggle together and lurch together. I, I compare spiritual growth to snakes and ladders. You know, you think you're making progress, and all of a sudden you find yourself like, man, how did I get down here? <laughs> and we're learning to do that together, which I think is pretty cool. I'm doing that, actually, right? Like, I find that I myself am like, oh, how did I get down here again? So it's it's good to be able to walk together and feel like I'm not alone with that. That's awesome. Uh, well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about uh, this stuff and, and where can they get your book? Yeah, the best place to find me online is my personal website, which is dashhouse.com, D-A-S-H, and then house.com. And you can also go to gospelforlife.com, F-O-R, life, not the number four. And uh, you can pick up the book at Amazon or at any major bookseller. Um, I'd recommend it's a great thing if you want to get like a pack of ten. That's I would recommend that in in going through it with a, a small group. I think that's it's really built well for that. So, Daryl, thank you so much for coming on. Hey Ezra, we need to meet at Jimmy's one of these days. I would love that. Let's do it. Well, there you have it. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to take him up on that offer to go to Jimmy's. I, I need to check that out sometime. So maybe if you come to Toronto, we can I can take you there as well. Apparently, it's the best coffee around. Anyways, uh, thanks so much for taking some time to listen to this. And uh, if you want more information, uh, go to dashhouse.com. Again, that's where uh, uh, Pastor Daryl blogs and writes. And go out over to Amazon if you want to pick up his book, How to Grow. And like I said, um, pick up a copy, maybe pick up 10 for a small group. Uh, more and more when I get books, uh, I like the idea of studying them in connection with other people. I think there is a lot more value to that than just reading them ourselves. But anyways, thanks so much for taking some time to listen today. I'll talk to you all again very soon.
You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.